Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now we'll be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone has been having a wonderful week so far. Sorry I haven't been on the podcast and dropped any episodes the last couple of days or really the last week and a half. I've been a little under the weather, so I didn't want to kind of bring that on or drop any episodes with me under the weather. So today is really kind of the first day that I've been feeling really better, really up to kind of doing a podcast and feeling like my voices up to it and to bring you guys a new episode and what a day to do it as it is officially on July 21st this Friday the weekend that I think a lot of movie fans and I think even everybody has been waiting for it is Barbenheimer weekend happy Barbenheimer day to everyone that is going out to do the double feature of probably the year the decade I don't know what are the hyperboles you want to give this but it is Barbie it is Oppenheimer we're going to be diving into both of those films giving little previews on what to expect about the films, what to look out for. And then, of course, on Monday or Tuesday, I'll be recapping the box office and seeing how those two films really kind of landed overall within their opening weekends. We're also going to be talking about a bunch of trending trailers that I missed out on over the last couple days, really the last week or so. And a lot of trailers came out to really kind of talk about both in TV and in movies specifically as well. So we're going to get into all that and so much more on the podcast. But I do want to start off with a little bit of news that has been making the the waves a little bit over the last week or so. And I think as everybody knows right now, there are two major strikes happening in Hollywood right now. Of course, the one that has been going on since the beginning of May has been the writer strike, the WGA going on the picket lines for to every single one of the studios over the last couple of months throughout the summer season. And then as recently as last week, the actors have joined the writers on the picket lines as sag after was not able to reach a deal with the producers, with the studios, the AMPTP, and come to a deal that would have them kind of continue on work. And because of that, while with the writer's strike, a lot of productions were able to move on if their scripts were complete. Basically, for the actors, a lot of those situations, they had to shut down productions that were even ongoing completely down and so right now basically since the COVID-19 pandemic or kind of like it Hollywood in terms of productions is basically shut down for business at this particular moment in time and a lot of that has dealt with a lot of ramifications throughout Hollywood and I think when you look at writers and you look at actors and you look at the situations going on during these strikes right now, for me, it's put it a little bit in perspective on what these strikes are all about. And I think it really kind of brings to the forefront that one, writing matters in movies, TV, even songwriting, writing matters. It's about putting words to paper and putting things out there for people to enjoy with their stories, within character dialogues and then you need the actors and performers to really kind of put those words into action and those things are so key to what makes Hollywood run and sure there's a business side of it that still is very much a big part of Hollywood's functionality whether it's maintaining budgets and money and there's all these different aspects that really kind of come into play with these with making entertainment really and but there's one other key factor that is really big when it comes to movies. And I think you're seeing it this weekend when it comes to Barbie and when it comes to Oppenheimer, especially before the SAG strike really came about, was marketing and how 
you're able to market your films. And I think it showcases how big actors can be in that space and that while they're supposed to be acting in front of the screen and delivering performances that you're seeing in movies, TV, another big key part of the job is promoting those movies out there in order to get people's interested interest into seeing your specific product that you're putting out there. And I think the notion that is going on around Hollywood right now, and, and really I think in, in general audience spaces and people that are kind of dissecting the industry, moving about the industry kind of really dissecting what what it is about Hollywood that makes it tick right now in today's day and era, the modern age of Hollywood. And I think when we look at, suppose, stars, what's the, no, the, the nature of star power in, in Hollywood, whether it's an actor, a writer, a director specifically, or even if you're on TV, a showrunner who, who can bring people into a TV show more so than ever before, really. When you look at people like Taylor Sheridan, Ryan Murphy, Shonda Rhimes, you're able to, to get people to watch these shows based on what the showrunner might be. But of course, you have people like Christopher Nolan, Quentin Tarantino, but also it's the fact of what is it about actors that can draw people into the crowd, whether it's star power, whether it's their actual acting ability, there's something about it that draws people in. And maybe it isn't the same case as it was even in the early 2000s, the 90s, the 1980s, where you had a person in a movie because of their name, because of their 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 brand, whether it's an Arnold, a Sylvester, or in even today's day and age, Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, or some along the lines of those kinds of actors that you would move up against and you would go to these films to see it or George Clooney like in a way. And so I think a big definition is is of what is star power right now and what does it mean when it comes to marketing and there's a recent article that came out from Variety yesterday that actually talked about with the writer strike happening, a lot of the films, these films that are coming out in the fall time could potentially move and be delayed till 2024. And the reason for that being is because of the the strikes that are going on right now, specifically more so for the actors, because a lot of these films and studios don't want to promote these films without their stars in place and you could even look at it when you look at the two ways that the studios have been putting out that were kind of going about the negotiations for these contracts when you look at what happened with the writer strike studios weren't as i think frivolous to get a deal done in early may when the strike was coming down or when the deal was was ticking down to its final hours and then the strike happened as soon as the deal as soon as the deal was was over and they couldn't come to a new agreement. The writers and studios went away and they decided to, well, the, the, the writers decided to go on the picket lines and strike and the studios apparently haven't started negotiating with them since then. But when you saw that the hours weighing down for the actors and their deal, you could see with the studios how they were trying to bring in a mediator. They extended the deadline out with SAG to try to get a deal done because they know that if SAG decided to strike, as is the case right now, a lot of ramifications would be coming into effect more so than it would come with the writers. And I'm not saying that the writers and actors are more importance over another. They both deserve deals that are equally beneficial towards each guild, whatever that may be. 
But what I'm saying is that you could see within the studios and the producers how important it was to get a deal done with the actors. And we're seeing the ramifications now of really how important marketing marketing is in a film, the promotion of a movie. And that's really kind of the second gig when it comes to being an actor, a performer, of going out there and selling and promoting a film. And when you look at the report that came out from Variety, it's specifically talking about Warner Brothers and their strategy moving forward in these next couple of months of pushing some of these films, you're hearing names in these reports like Dune Part 2, A-list cast, Timothy Chalamet, Zendaya, Rebecca Ferguson, Javier Bardem, Austin Butler, Christopher Walken, Florence Pugh. Those are big names that maybe Timothy Chalamet specifically or someone like Rebecca Ferguson, Javier Bardem are people that maybe aren't the biggest names. They're not a George Clooney or Brad Pitt. But in today's day and age, when we talk about movie stars, people that have huge social media followings and you want to get people to go to the theaters, these are people that matter. Zendaya's somebody who is really important in the marketing of a movie and getting them out there to promote these films. So you have a film like Dune Part 2 that has an A-list cast. On all, I love Denis Villeneuve, and I think he is, to me, the second best director in all of Hollywood right now, but he can't just promote a film on his own throughout a marketing campaign. You can't bring this film to a festival, really, and just, unfortunately, just have Denis Villeneuve. There's a reason you dole out all the money you do for a cast like that, and you want to promote them out you want to get them out there to try to rein people in to see this film that maybe don't know Dune all that well or aren't huge sci-fi fans and when they see these actors on a poster or in an interview they're like oh so and so's in this movie I want to go see them same thing with something like The Color Purple unfortunately you can't really promote this film without getting people like Oprah involved or people like I think Taraji P. Henson or Halle Bailey, you can't get some of these people without sag after right now. And I think that kind of film, and it says in the report as well, that film has awards aspirations and you can't really hinge it on the writer, director, studios to promote to promote the movie. You need the actors to do that. So again, while we have a film like what we had this weekend, really, with Barbie and Oppenheimer, you can have Greta Gerwig and Christopher Nolan go out there and finish the press tour. But are those the things that are really going to draw people? Maybe Christopher Nolan is able to do it, but all due respect to Greta Gerwig, and I hope she can get there one day, and I think Barbie is going to help her do that in getting into that echelon where she can go promote a movie and you don't have to worry about anyone else in the cast, but you want to be able to promote that A-list cast as well, and I think having people like Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling, Matt Damon, Emily Blunt in those two movies, Matt Damon, Emily Blunt for Oppenheimer, Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling for Barbie, it, it helps it helps helps exponentially in getting people to go see these movies. And so I think overall, when we look at some of these movies that are being delayed, potentially being delayed by the strike, it's because that as much as these, it's about performances, it's about what is able to sustain the industry and that studios might be able to hold off on this for a long period of time. When you look at some of these movies, it, it's going to have a heavy effect on them and that it showcases that that stars do matter. Actors do matter in this sense. And, and during this whole strike right now, that's really got me thinking of some of these films. And even there was a report that came out earlier today about Zendaya and and, and her new movie Challengers with Luca, with Luca Guadagnino and Mike Feist and Josh O'Connor as her co-stars. That was supposed to be the big opener for the Venice Film Festival. Open up on September 15th. Well, now reports are coming up that it's not going to be at Venice anymore and that it's going to be moved 
moving to an April 26th, I believe, release date for this movie that is coming out. It was supposed to start and be a big awards contender potentially. Now it's going to be moving to the spring-summer slot of 2024. And And the reason for that is if you can't get Zendaya, specifically Zendaya there, all due, again, all due respect to Mike Feist, Josh O'Connor, Zendaya is the, the person you want to flaunt out on the red carpet. You want to put out in interviews that will put butts in seats. And, <clears throat> excuse me, if you can't get her to do these films, to do the press promotion for the film, then really, what's the point? Because all due respect to Luca, again, like like a Denny Villeneuve, he him alone is not going to get some people, general audience members, to go see these films. So I think for me, when looking at this report, looking at the strikes, I think it just puts into perspective that even though again we might not have the A list A list stars again of a Clooney, uh, a, a Julia Roberts, or Matt Damon, or any of these people, or Brad Pitt, that are the huge A list stars that we have in today's day and age. They're not megawattish stars of the 2000s where you go see them, or even a Will Smith. You go see their name, you're going to the movies, but promotions, marketing, it matters. And so I think when we look at these delays, it just showcases to studios that, yeah, we might, again, we might not be in a day and age where that's all that matters, but it's still something that is a heavily, heavy, heavy influence on getting people to go out to the movies. And I think you're, you're going to see that with some of these other delays that will be coming down the line. I don't think that this is going to just be the end of it. I think this is just the beginning of seeing something like a Challengers be officially confirmed. I really would not be surprised if these reports do come to fruition when films like Dune Part 2, Color Purple, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom will reportedly be being moved to 2024. It wouldn't shock me because again, stars matter. It doesn't matter if you're a superstar, an all-star, or just a star. Stars matter in, in any format, especially when it comes to entertainment, whether it's sports or movies, TV, music, stars matter all around and you need them to keep the bottom line moving forward in some way, shape or form. And so without that, it's going to be less successful than it even is right now. And and again, for the case of movies, it's been a little bit of of, of of a struggle during the summer movie season so far for these films right now. And so you need a weekend like Barbie and or Barbenheimer to do very, very well. You need the promotion of those films in order to get people to see these films. And I think when you're seeing these delays happen, that's, I think, a big crux of why these things are delayed. It's because actors matter, stars matter, writing matters. Writing does matter because you want to get people to see these films and you want to have good stories, good scripts. But when it comes to the actors and what they're on strike for, sure, they're on strike for residuals. Sure, they're on strike for AI and, and all this other stuff. But I think another big part of it that goes unseen in the job, and I'm sure it's not their favorite part to go out there and promote these things and talk to people and probably get the same questions over and over and over again, But I think a big key piece of this aspect of it that I think a lot of people will be looking at now with this strike going on and since actors can't be part of the press tour is how big they actually matter when doing these press tours. Because without them, and you only have a few directors that can maybe really go out there and sell a film, a film is not as marketable as it is when you have your actors going out there to talk about it. And so, yeah, Timothy Chalamet, is he a Will Smith-like character? No. I think Zendaya is more close to that. But 
is someone like a Jason Momoa in that vein? No, but he's a recognizable name. And Timothy Chalamet, a recognizable name and face. These things matter to people. These things get people into the theater still in some way, shape, or form. Might be different forms of tax- tactics that go on about it, whether it's on their own volition of doing it on social media accounts instead of just doing interviews and junkets, just that, and then moving on. So all these things still really matter. And I think when I saw this report, it just really got me thinking. I really wanted to start off the podcast by talking about this and and seeing that these these press tours still really, really do matter. And even though it might be a different way of thinking than it was back in the days, it's still a form that needs to, is, is a very big key in having a movie be successful. And again, just go to this weekend with Barbenheimer, Barbie Oppenheimer, two completely different films. Social media takes wind of this thing, makes it into this massive, huge phenomenon. And again, on top of it, you already have A-listers that are a part of it that went out there and promoted the hell out of this thing on both Barbie and Oppenheimer, and they're also big names that can draw people to the seat. So again, might not be the biggest percentage of why you go see the film, but it's a reason why you go see a movie, and I think for studios, that should be enough to get people to get back onto the table and get negotiations on this thing started up as soon as you possibly can. So we'll see where it goes, but I think seeing that these movies are being delayed because of the the strikes that are happening right now, it was inevitable. And I just think that it's just unfortunate that we're going to have to wait longer for these films. But again, you got to get these contracts done and we'll see where those things go. And I think also this just speaks volumes to the fact that this could go on for the next couple of months. And I thought that with just the the WGA strike, that would go on until maybe Labor Day. Now I think the the WGA strike is probably gonna go on until at least the end of the year into the beginning of next year. And then the 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 the, the, the SAG strike I could see that going until October, November, the latest probably. So my optimistic take from earlier on was hoping by Labor Day, but I just think now give it a month or two, especially for the actors. And I think by the middle of fall, we could start seeing some headway done with this at least. But just both sides are very contentious at this point on both fronts, the writers and the actors with the AMPTP. And just nothing is getting done at this point. And so I just think that this is just writing on the wall. And the studios know better than anybody right now because they're plugged into it that if if they're starting to delay these films, that a deal isn't going to be done by October or September when these festivals start coming around. And you see a lot of these films that are awards contenders, Dune Part 2, Color Purple. Those are, are, are films that Warner Brothers wants to promote as potential awards contender films. And so if they're not going to have their actors by September, October to get started on promotion, true promotion for these films, then it may makes no sense as to have these films come out if you can't get those people out there to promote it. So what do you guys think about these delays for these movies? It's unfortunate, but again, is it for the benefit for the strike as well? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. And now to go into the main crux of the show today, which is getting into all of these big trending trailers that came out over the last week or so. We're going to get into the more recent ones and then make our way down to the ones that didn't really 
really get to cover over the last couple of days and the last week or so that came out that really made headway and I really enjoyed it and I really wanted to talk about on the podcast. But let's get into the ones that, again, came out just recently, specifically starting off with one that came out earlier this morning, and that is for The Marvels, which will be the latest Marvel Cinematic Universe film to come out, coming off of the success of Guardians of the Galaxy that kicked off the summer movie season in May of this year. Now this fall, we're going to be having the third and final Marvel film of 2023, and that, of course, will be the sequel to Captain Marvel in The Marvels, but this time, she won't be alone. I shall be teaming up with Tiana Parrish's character of Monica Rambeau, who, if you followed the MCU, the last time we saw that character was in the newest show, or the first show that landed on Disney+, Plus, which became this huge phenomenon in WandaVision. And then, of course, we also have Amon Vellani, who I think is the face and the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and she, of course, had her own show come out last year with Miss Marvel, which to me was the probably one of the best MCU shows that we have had so far within the pantheon of Disney Plus MCU shows. I think she was a revelation. She made the character of Kamala Khan amazing and enjoyable and and fresh for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So seeing her get her feature film debut in this movie is going to be very, very exciting. And it's really about the three of them coming together in a way. And I, w- I really liked the idea of this when I first heard about it, that instead of it just being a sequel to a solo Captain Marvel film, which made over a billion dollars, was a huge, I think, really surprise hit for how well it did. I think people thought that maybe this film could probably make $700, $800 million at most, but a bit, it, it scorched earth at the box office. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that being the case. It was the first feature female lead in a Marvel film. It was also the film leading up to Avengers Endgame. So it was about a month later, we got the true climax of the Infinity Saga. And so I think all those things really kind of led to the success of the film. And I just think that having these three team up is actually a smart way of approaching this this new film and I like the teaser trailer that came out I think it brought in what we I think people might some people might enjoy about the MCU right now which brings that kind of sci-fi space opera feel to it it's quirky and enjoyable and I really like that about the teaser trailer and the and this main first trailer really kind of continues that moving forward it's going to be this intergalactic journey that we're going to see these three go on together I'm really curious to see more of what Brie Larson's Carol Danvers is up to in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because we really only had three appearances of her really two post-Captain Marvel. We've had Avengers Endgame. She was in a post credit scene for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And now this. And, and she, of course, her character, Captain Marvel, got major mentions in Miss Marvel. But we really don't know what else Captain Marvel has been up to. We don't know what her galactic universes and her journeys and her adventures have gone through her over the years. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see that character evolve over all these years and what she's really been up to. I really like the chemistry between all three of them. It's great to see Samuel L. Jackson back as Nick Fury. I think even though I think I'm a little lukewarm on Secret Invasion, I do love what he always brings to the MCU, and I love the new dynamics that we see Nick Fury going through in Secret Invasion. And so I'm curious to see the transition for something a little bit more dark and brooding like Secret Invasion, and then transferring him into this kind of fun, 
enjoyable, campy space adventure in the Marvels. I'm curious to see how that journey continues from one to the next in terms of tone, but it's always great to see him. I like the chemistry that that he and Captain Marvel have. He has some good jokes, I think, with Tiana Parrish's character, and just again, Amon Vellani, I'm just, I think she's going to steal this movie, and hopefully, SAG, SAG after is able to promote this if they get a deal done, because if there's one person I think would benefit incredibly from being on a promotional tour on a film of this massive scale, it's somebody like Amon Vellani, who even though she had her own show last year, people might not know her. And I think being in a Marvel movie, all due respect to Disney Plus shows, being in a Marvel film is still a lot bigger than it is being on a Disney MCU Plus show at this particular moment in time. Again, all due respect, I, I like, I love some of the shows that have come out of there. Miss Marvel was one of them. But being in an MCU movie is still a bigger deal. There's a bigger press umbrella that is given to those more so than the Disney Plus shows. And so I think it, that would be just great to get her into to the public eye better and just seeing this movie looks fun and enjoyable the villain still i don't i don't i feel like people might not know her and 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 hopefully it's able to come across a lot better than it does in the trailers right now but I just think this film could be enjoyable, and I think Marvel needs that right now because right now Guardians of the Galaxy is what everyone thought it was, which would be a great conclusion to the Guardians. It'd be kind of a a a little bit of a of a patchwork for the MCU right now, where Ant Man and the Wasp and Quantumania didn't do that well box office wise critically. A lot of shakiness in the MCU. Guardians of the Galaxy put a stop to that. It stopped the bleeding a little bit. But Secret Invasion, there's really been not a lot of buzz on this show, as sad as that is to say. So for the Marvels, what does that mean for it? Can it have the kind of success that Guardians is having right now? Can it have better success? Or is it going to fall in line with something like Ant-Man of the Wasp Quantumania? And Guardians and the Guardians of the Galaxy was just kind of a trip down memory lane of the success of the MCU. And this is what we have moving forward. So there, there's a lot of pressure on the Marvels right now to, I think, really perform like we know Marvel will be. And I'm not saying has to be a billion dollar hit but i think it has to be a serviceable quality amazing film that we know the mcu can do and perform at a high enough level at the box office to reap the benefits of that so i think this is going to be one to be excited about to be interested about i'm a fan of nia DaCosta. i'm not somebody who loved Candyman, but i like her direction in that film so knowing that she was doing this got me excited and we all know marvel can pick diamonds in the rough and wants to bring these indie directors on to make these movies so we'll see what she can do with this film but i'm, I'm very i'm very excited about it i am i am excited to see this movie i do think the thing that is going to get me in theaters is a amon Vellani, but b it's the core three of these of these heroes together and seeing their chemistry chemistry and I really like what I've seen in the trailer so far so I think if they keep marketing and leaning on those aspects I think they could be in for a, a good fall with this movie overall with the Marvels which is just to hit theaters on November 10th then the next trailer that came out that I wanted to talk about which came out earlier in the week it is for the new Hercule Poirot film that is set to come out in September of this year The Haunting in Venice which is based off of another Agatha Christie novel that it's not that specific name. It's another name. I forget it exactly, but it is based off of another Agatha Christie novel. And this time around, Kenneth Branagh is once again directing, and he's starring once again with a really good cast. I wouldn't say it's got some big names in there, but it's not the huge A-list 
cast of both Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile. But if you're somebody that is into movies and TV and stuff that isn't mainstream but still very good, I think you'll really like this cast. Along with with Kenneth Branagh, who is, again, directing, you have Jimmy Dornan, who, of course, a lot of people will know from the 50, 50 Shades of Grey franchise. But, of course, I think he was amazing in Belfast a couple of years ago. He also reunites with his Belfast co-star in Jude Hill, who reunite with their Belfast director in Kenneth Branagh. Then you also have, of course, the comedic legend in Tina Fey in this one. You also have Kelly Riley. So if you're a fan of Yellowstone, you know of her performances. And she's also been amazing in stuff like Flight for years ago, back in 2012 with Denzel Washington. So she's someone to really look out for. And of course, the one and only recent Academy Award winner for Best Actress in a Motion Picture, of course, for Everything Everywhere All at Once, is the one and only Michelle Yeoh. So again, this still has some A-list names in there, but it's not just, it's not the a-list cast that when you just go down the list it's just one after the other after the other but it has some really significant names in there that i think will get people excited for the film but overall this one actually took me by surprise a little bit when the first teaser trailer came out because again if you look at early Orient express death on the nile they're the kind of murder mystery films that you would expect based on those agatha christie novels to be this one is actually taking what seems to be a little bit more of a supernatural approach where it's still dealing with that murder mystery element but it's acting as more of kind of a darker tale than we've seen before and i'm excited to see kenneth Branagh take that on a little bit and do something different and exciting within his directing arsenal and taking the character of hercule Poiron in a different avenue than what we've seen him do in recent years so for me i'm really really interested to see where this film goes and what it does and i think this one actually would have benefited better coming out in October just because of the supernatural thriller horror elements that it has within these trailers. I think it would have done well during Halloween time, but this could still do well in September. I think September sometimes can generate some good modest hits. This one could potentially do that. It doesn't have a lot of baggage around it as Death on the Nile did because of the Army Hammer situation surrounding that one, but this one still has a really good cast. I really like the vibe that they're taking with this one, trying to go in a different creative direction tonally than they did in the first to try to switch it up a little bit and so i'm excited to see this one and again i'm not the biggest horror fan in the world i think a lot of people know that at this point on this podcast but i will try to dabble in horror films that i find intriguing and this is one that definitely intrigues me right now so i'll be one of the people to go see it and the trailers have convinced me of that with the haunting in venice and then some of the other trailers that came out that really interested me the the last one that came out this week that got me excited to kind of kicked everything off was the latest trailer for the sci-fi film The Creator, which is was directed by Gareth Edwards. If you know that name, he of course did the first Godzilla film back in 2014, uh, the kind of new rebooted monster universe from Legendary. Then he also did Rogue One, a Star Wars story. And even though a lot of people know Tony Gilroy, so I think of taking that film over the finish line, the directed by credit still goes to Gareth Edwards. So he has directed two big blockbusters in recent memory. And ever since Rogue One, you really haven't heard anything of him. Now, that could be maybe because he's been working on this film, or maybe he took a little time off. He might have been maybe a little radioactive in in Hollywood because of Rogue One and the fact that there were multiple reshoots. Someone else needed to come on to kind of finish it off. So, really don't know. But he's back at it once again, going back into the sci-fi world, and... 
it seems like the creator could be something really interesting. I really like the first trailer that came out a couple months ago, and I really, really like this trailer. It has a great cast in it, specifically a leading man himself and John David Washington. It also has Gemma Chan and Ken Watanabe. And this very much has kind of District 9 elements to it, it feels like. Not so much in the story but which is very very kind of like a it seems like a road trip adventure between a human and an an android and i think what we're dealing with right now in the world with ai being very prevalent this seems to be very much hitting home right now for the world and i think it's gonna be interesting to see how people respond to it but i think it also does remind me of kind of district nine in the sense of the production design it very much has that kind of old worn down aesthetic to it that i just something about it just resonates with me that just thinks of something like a district nine or elysium or any kind of sci-fi neil blumkamp film that i can think about right now it very much reminds me of that in the production design the costumes the aesthetic of it it just has that feeling to me so whenever i see gareth edwards i think right away like oh that's neil blumkamp but it's not neil blumkamp it's gareth edwards and so it, it just it, it it invokes that within me but still this is one that i'm actually very keen to see when it comes out on september 29th it only has a budget of around 80 to 90 million dollars which again for a sci-fi film an original sci-fi film right now that is very good and when we talk about these overblown inflated budgets to have a budget like that i think is very manageable and if this film can come across in a very good way and get some positive buzz i think you can actually go get people to see this in theaters around that time period of late september and again to me i'm a big fan of john david washington i love them in tenant love the work that he did of course in black Klansman. and for people who know him in his earlier work something in like ballers he was very very good and so i'm a fan of john david washington and what he's doing and i'm excited for that ken wananabe i mean a legend amazing love the guy he fits really well in this world and i'm just excited to see this movie and of course in the trailer whenever you have dream on you have an epic version of dream on from aerosmith in trailers you have me sold i mean to me the one that always comes to mind is with the version of dream on that came on during argo love that trailer and that the song in it is a big reason for why and i think in this in these two trailers so far with that song it's just somehow been able to work and it just adds to the epicness of this trailer and of what this film could potentially be so in terms of trailers the trailers are supposed to hook you get you excited and the one thing i always love is even when i make a most anticipated list i always know that it's probably always going to change within my mind because i don't know what some of these films are or I don't I haven't seen a trailer for some films potentially and for a film like the creator I knew of it but then when you see the trailer you just you just, your whole expectations either get deflated or inflated and my expectations for this film have increasingly inflated over the last couple of months ever since that first trailer came out and also even further than that since I heard word about this over at CinemaCon in April I know that they premiered footage of this during their the the Disney Walt Disney Studios presentation since 20th Century Studios is under the Disney umbrella and from what I heard of it it really surprised a lot of people and took people aback because they really didn't know anything about this film and I the same thing has happened to me and I'm very, very excited about this film when it comes out in September. And then three other trailers that I want to talk about really quickly 
that came out last week that I didn't get to talk about. The first one was for, I think, one of the, the highly, most highly anticipated or one of the most anticipated films to come out in the fall when we talk about the fall movie season. And that, of course, is for Wonka, which is directed by Paul King. And if you know the Paddington films, he did the Paddington movies. And, of course, it has Willy Wonka, a young Willy Wonka, being played by the one and only Timothy Chalamet. And it's basically kind of the origin story of how Willy Wonka came to be and how Willie got the name Wonka and how he built up the Chocolate Factory and became who he was when we see him in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory played famously and legendary by Gene Wilder. And this is a film that I didn't really, I didn't know what to expect from it. I heard so-so things about it internally and didn't know what to expect. It's a musical and you have Timothy Chalamet singing and we don't know how he's going to sing. We've never seen him sing before and all these different things. And while the trailers don't show him singing, when you know who when you see that this film is directed by the guy Paddington and when you see that name and that title card and you watch the rest of the film I think you know what to expect and it just has that lighthearted, fun heartwarming kind of snuggly charm to it that will just put a smile on your face and it seems like the perfect time for this film to come out right around the holiday season after Thanksgiving before the, the Christmas time frame right around people are getting presents for their families it's, it's that communal experience and I think you need a film like that during the holiday season. And it seems like sh- that Wonka is going to be that. And I think for Timothy Chalamet, you know, he's one of the most sought after actors in the business right now. I mean, he's somebody who people put him on the list of potentially one of the great actors of all time that he can get to that level of a Daniel Day-Lewis. He could get to that charisma, legendary status of a Daniel Day-Lewis and then the star power of Leonardo DiCaprio all in one. And so yeah, studios and, and I think a lot of people within the business have been trying to build him to be that and it made sense to put him in something like Dune but then when he had a lot of offers on the table when he decided to do Wonka it was a different approach and, and I think for him it actually seeing the trailer it, it fits and I can see why this character this version of the character appealed to somebody like a Timothy Chalamet because it feels like it fits his acting sensibilities and we've seen him in stuff that is very much kind of dark and dreary and dramatic and so for him to kind of take on this very weird but lighthearted, fun full of joy character it's different in a way and we haven't seen that from Timothy Chalamet yet and I'm excited to see see him pull on those acting muscles a little bit more and I'm excited for it I think this fits the kind of character that Timmy Timmy likes to play but also again flexing new muscles that aren't as dramatic but I think you're still going to get that warm-hearted kind of emotional tug it seems like there's a relationship between him and his mother that probably drives him to do what he wants to do and the cultures and the mindsets that he has in place so it just looks like a fun fun warm fuzzy film for the holidays and it was advertised that way and I'm excited for it. So again, not one of my most anticipated films, but I think it's one that people are going to get excited about. When we talk about the fall season, the winter movie season, I think this is one that's going to come up a lot when we talk about films that are right now slated to come out for the rest of 2023. It is coming out on December 15th right now, so we'll see how it does. And, and what is it right now? I mean, we'll see what happens given the fact that there's reports that Color Purple, Aquaman, and Lost Kingdom could move. If those films don't move, then it's going to be a very crowded December for Warner Brothers as they have both Wonka, Purple, and... Aquaman are all from the same studio so it's gonna be very interesting to see how they're all gonna separate that apart and maybe it's for the best also that some of those films decide to move so the studio can breathe a little bit and getting some financial success from some of these films and not eating each other up even though they're very much 
three different demographics, I feel like, in films that will appeal to people. Still, as a studio, you don't want that really happening to you. And then speaking of Warner Brothers, there is another film that is actually set to come out at the tail end of the summer movie season. And that, of course, is the latest in the DCEU, or really DCU at this point now. And that, of course, is Blue Beetle. And and so coming off of the success or actually really, I don't even know why it's a success. I, ho- I hope they would have been a success, but it wasn't. It was a total bomb in The Flash and the performance of that film overall. It's going to be very interesting to see how this film performs because Blue Beetle is in a very interesting position right now because... It's got no ties to the past DCEU like The Flash did, like Aquaman has. It has references to things like Batman, but it's not tethered to anything. It's totally on its own. And so James Gunn has come out and said that Blue Beetle is going to be its own thing. The characters themselves could be a part of the DCU, but not the story elements itself. So there's still a whole lot of, 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 of question marks surrounding the DC brand right now. And I think, unfortunately, that is actually going to hurt more than help Blue Beetle this particular moment in time. And that's unfortunate because to me, I like what I've seen from the trailer so far. And this latest trailer has continued to showcase some really fun elements for me in this movie. I like the dynamics that they're teasing with the family. I love that Zolo is Blue Beetle and that he's Jaime Reyes. If you know him from Cobra Kai, he's got the charisma to be a leading man in a film like this. And so I hope that this film can do well enough that it warrants James Gunn, Peter Safran saying, you know, okay, we can actually have these characters in in here. They're wanted by the audience. Let's have them in here instead of just recasting it all entirely. So for me, I'm hoping that this film does well, even though projections aren't looking up. But the trailers have looked really well for me and the latest one continues to really kind of showcase that. So I'm hoping Blue Beetle can do when it comes out on, on August 18th. But just so far, is it's been over two for DC between Shazam Fury of the Gods and then an even bigger disaster somehow with the Flash. I mean, it just seems like it needs a total cleanse right now than anything else. And after what I thought this film could be the lowest of the bunch, the Flash, I don't know how he's going to be able to top flat or bottom Flash, but maybe Blue Beetle is able to rise above it. We'll see. But I really like what I've seen from the trailer so far. I just don't know if people are going to see this film if they didn't come out for anything like Shazam or The Flash, which had ties to other things in the DCEU and have people like Michael Keaton involved as Batman. And that thing just flopped like a thing of pancakes. So we'll see. Maybe Blue Beetle can do something, but I just don't think it's going to be able to do it. But crazier things have happened. So we'll see. But it does look awesome. I really like the trailers that have come out for this film so far. So hopefully it's able to perform modestly well for Warner Brothers. And then the final trailer that I want to talk about in the trending trailer segment of the podcast is, of course, the latest Star Wars show to be hitting Disney Plus and is one that I've been very much looking forward to over these last couple of years. And that, of course, is Ahsoka. And I really like the teaser trailer that came out during Star Wars Celebration in April. And I really enjoyed the trailer that came out over the last week or so with Ahsoka. It was, I think it was awesome first off the fact that the trailer whether this was made before or it was modified after the passing of Ray Stevenson who plays kind of this Sith gray kind of I think Jedi in the show to start off with him 
in the beginning of the trailer I think was awesome and it's going to be great to see him in this in one of his last performances I don't know if it's his final final one but it's definitely probably one of his final appearances in movies and TV I just don't know if it's the final one period or not but still just to see him in this is going to be awesome and he looks like a badass it it just he's he's awesome in this one it seems like and of course the big star in this one is Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka she she is Ahsoka. She is Ahsoka Tano. It, it's the one one of the few times that fan casting and the studio decision makes sense, and they listen to it, and it seems like it's really going to pay off in the end. She looks amazing. I love Sabine in this. I love Hera. The only thing that concerns me a little bit is watching the trailer because I know of Star Wars Clone Wars, Star Wars Rebels, which are created by Dave Filoni specifically, who is the has helped create the the kind of Mandoverse with John Favreau, was the creator of the Mandalorian, helped create Book of Boba Fett alongside Favreau, and Robert. Rodriguez was the sole creator of this show. He wrote all eight episodes. He's directing one of the episodes. And so he knows this part of the world better than anybody. He knows this character better than any, anyone. So it made sense for him to come on to this one. And I know he's come on and said that for people who don't know the world of Ahsoka and know the characters from Rebels, they'll be able to catch on. The problem is that the trailer for me didn't really showcase that. So if I'm if I showed this to my dad, my brother, my friends who don't know the Star Wars universe that well, are they going to be able to connect with characters like Sabine and Hera without knowing the history of those characters? Or is Dave going to do what Dave can do and make these characters accessible enough that if you want to go back and watch Star Wars Clone Wars or want to go back and watch Star Wars Rebels, you can do that if you're curious about seeing the history of these characters. But that to me is the only thing that I was hesitant about when watching the trailer because it feels like it was making a lot of links to Star Wars Rebels and these characters past that I don't know if a lot of general audiences will understand if they haven't watched those two animated shows and so that to me was the only thing but everything else worked the, the lightsaber sequences looked awesome the, the visual effects honestly looked pretty good the the characters looked awesome again I think Mary Elizabeth once it looks awesome as Hera I think that the whole thing looks awesome I, again I think Lars Mikkelsen as as Thrawn looks incredible and I'm excited to see where this story goes and how it connects and where we can go with the Mando universe because I think there's still a lot of questions of how this is all going to lead to what is probably going to be Dave Filoni's movie in the next couple of years so we'll see how that all comes together I think Ahsoka is going to be a big part of that but just overall this is probably the second most anticipated Star Wars show that I am looking forward to right now the Acolyte is still number one for me but this has been one that I've been very much looking forward to ever since it was announced at the Disney Investor Day all the way back in 2020 and of course even further than that when we had Ahsoka Tanu introduced to us in live action in I think it was probably October of 2020 when our episode came out when we saw that episode I knew that we had something awesome on our hands in live action and it seems like Dave and Rosario and everyone else have really done a great job translating her to her very own show and it's been a long time coming and I think it's going to make a lot of fans very happy and excited and I think it's just a thing of Again, there's been a lot of Star Wars over the last couple of years is can this show become a big cultural zeitgeist and put up big numbers and become this this big buzzed about show when it debuts on August 23rd or is this going to be another show that Disney Plus puts out and the fans will know about it, but it won't hit like Mandalorian has hit, like WandaVision has hit, like Loki hit, like some of these other shows have hit, even Andor, it, it hasn't, Mandalorian season three 
kind of hit with a lot of people, but didn't have that big buzz and bazang like season one and season two had. So we'll see. But I'm very curious about it. But I do like the product that is being put forth from these trailers. So we'll see what happens. But again, I'm I'm very interested in seeing where this show goes. But in terms of the trailers, they've all been very good to me, and I really like what I've seen in the show overall. I'm excited to get the first two episodes on August 23rd, and I think that's a smart decision to make in the show, or season rather, that is eight episodes. I think it's smart to put out the first two episodes in one swoop because you get people invested, and again, I think that's smart in the fact that for audience members who might not know some of these characters, minus Ahsoka, if, unless you haven't watched the, 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 that episode of Mandalorian, you might not know who these characters are. So you get them two episodes to get invested into the story, into this, into what we're doing in the season, and move forward from there. So I like that they're putting out two episodes first, and we'll see where it goes from there starting again August 23rd. And what do you guys think about all of these trailers that I talked about? Which one was your favorite? Have you seen any of them? Was it the Marvel's trailer? Was it The Haunting in Venice? Was it the creator, Wonka, Blue Beetle, Ahsoka? Let me know which trailer was your favorite out of the ones that I listed and leave your thoughts down below. And the final thing that I want to talk about on the podcast today, I can't leave without talking about it, of course. I have to end the podcast episode this way. Again, it's Barbenheimer weekend, the weekend that I and I think a lot of others now have been looking forward to for weeks, months, a year plus at this point, ever since it was announced that both Barbie and Oppenheimer will be coming out on the same exact day, is finally in fruition. It's become this huge cultural phenomenon now known as Barbenheimer. Barbie, Oppenheimer, Nolan versus Warner Brothers, Nolan versus Greta Gerwig, Margot Robbie versus Cillian Murphy, Ryan Gosling versus Matt Damon and Robert Downey Jr., the Atomic Age versus Barbie Land, all of it kind of coming together and they couldn't be more opposite movies. One that is vibrant and plush and pink and vibrant. The other one is dark, dreary, serious, black and white slash color film that is dealing with a serious, sensitive subject matter that is three hours long. And so uh, again, it is it is the weekend like none other. And I think movies absolutely need it this weekend because it, I gotta be honest, it's been, it's been a struggling summer season for movie theaters and for movies. I mean, June minus the beginning of the month of June when you had Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, it was a huge dud of a month for for the most part for a lot of these big summer blockbusters. July got off to a good start, especially with Mission Possible, Dead Reckoning Part 1 last weekend, but it there wasn't a big enough craze like this weekend, and now you're getting sold-out showings, you're getting double-feature bookings, it's it's exactly what the movie theaters need right now in in theaters at this moment. You need an opening weekend like this. And so for me, again, uh, people know about this, but I'm going to break it down anyway. So we're going to go by each film, and I'm going to talk about what I'm really excited about and what you guys should be excited about. So we're going to go with the one that, again, it's my most anticipated film of the year. He's my guy. I love him. It's Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer, directed, written by the man, has an A-list cast that includes Cillian Murphy, who, or Killian Murphy, I should say, rather, who I'm very excited about, finally gets a chance to lead a big-budget film like this. Also has an incredible A-list supporting cast, such as Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, Robert Downey Jr., Florence Pugh, Rami Malek, Josh Josh Peck is in this. I mean, I could go on and on and about about the list that is in that film, but it is an incredibly stacked supporting cast alongside Killian Murphy in this film. It's already made $10 million in previews, which is, as of right now, the highest opening night for a Christopher Nolan movie. 
and that is saying something. It's it's got a very good box office projection right now, which again I talked about at the top of the show. I'll talk about more in depth next week at the beginning to kind of go into the box office recap. But a very good start for Oppenheimer. The Rotten Tomato score is around like a 94% right now on RT, which is incredible for this movie. The fact that it's R-rated, it's a biopic, and people are going to see it. It's it's incredible. And again, it just showcases that really right now the big name in terms of a director that can put butts in seats it's Nolan. Nolan is that guy right now where you can just have his name and it says it in the posters everywhere. Christopher Nolan can drive people to see a movie on his name alone. And that showcases anything again with this opening weekend. And so I'm really excited about it. Again, it's about the life of J. Robert Oppenheimer who, or Robert J. Oppenheimer I should say and it's about really the beat, the the test, the Trinity test, which is about the first drop of the atomic bomb, and he was the mastermind of the atomic bomb, really. And it showed, and it's about kind of the ramifications of that, and his involvement in all of it, and about the Cold War and how that became really his downfall, in in a way. And I just think it looks amazing. the The fact that this is on IMAX seventy millimeter, there's been stories written about it where it's eleven miles long, six hundred pounds. The fact that there's only 13 theaters in, I think, just at least the country that can house IMAX 70 millimeter alone. And they're already saying that you have to get to the seat, the theaters exactly at the time of your showing because there will be no previews because they can't fit previews on the roll itself because of how massive it already is. So if you're going to see this film in IMAX 70 millimeter, if you see that your runtime is at 7 p.m., make sure you are there at 7 p.m., not 7.10, not 7.20, not 7.30, 7 p.m. on the dot because there will be no trailers for you to try to wiggle your way through halfway through if you just want to miss some of the previews and just get there for the movie. Get there at your show timing on the dot or a little bit before then so you can get to your seats ahead of time so you're not trying to block anyone's view or try to you know snuggle, snuggle your way through and get to your seats. You'll be there ready to go for this film. And then, of course, that brings us to the other film that is just, I think, even though Oppenheimer is going to do very, very well, the film that is going to dominate the box office this weekend. It's going to it's going to dominate. It's going to surely destroy the box office records this year or this weekend. And that, of course, is Barbie. And if you were to tell me this just beginning of this year, I would have said you're nuts. Barbie's not going to make more than Oppenheimer. It's not going to be potentially the highest grossing film of the year. It's not going to make the most money in in terms of preview night sales in 2023 alone. It's not going to eclipse the Batman preview sales that made $21 million last year. It's just not going to happen. Well, it happened, and it's going to happen this weekend. As Barbie has already made around $23 million its preview weekend, or its preview night for this weekend. And against the highest opening night of 2023, the Rotten Tomato score is at 90%. This one was written and directed by Greta Gerwig, also written with her partner Noah Baumbach. Another A-list cast that includes Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling, Simu Liu, Kingsley Benadir, Issa Rae, America Ferreira, Kate McKinnon, uh, Michael Sarah, Will Ferrell. Again, the list goes on and on and on and on for that movie as well in terms of who is in it. And it is just... It's remarkable that these, as a film fan, this kind of weekend just warms my heart because, again, it's not that these two, these two, 
and I'm somebody who loves comic book films, but these two are not films that are based on really huge IP. I mean, Barbie is based off of a doll, but it's not one that has been hugely just just reamed in and mined apart for films and TV shows throughout the years. This was a risk, and Greta Gerwig put her all into this film, and the same thing with Oppenheimer, where it's not based on anything. It's an original idea. It's based off of a book, but it's from an auteur-driven creative director who wants to make this film his own, and he put a stamp on that film. Greta put her stamp on Oppenheimer just to see these two just creative, artistic directors kind of do their thing with these two movies and have audiences drive to them in droves, whether it's in double feature or not is amazing to see and it's a weekend like this you you love being a film fan on a weekend like this where you just see people go out and see these films enjoy them not enjoy them they have expectations for these films and so just to see this is amazing and it was great i knew that this i didn't think this would happen like this but i was always looking forward to this weekend ever since really last year when it was really announced that barbie was going to go right alongside oppenheimer and to me it's like the perfect movie matchup because for me on this podcast to be able to talk about this I always like to talk about this stuff in sports terms as well and for me it doesn't get any better than this weekend again it's it's like if LeBron James was going up against his old team in Cleveland when he was in Miami this is basically Nolan going up against Warner Brothers rather Warner Brothers going up against Nolan because Nolan already had this slot sealed for Oppenheimer when he signed on to do the film with Universal back in 2021. And then Barbie, when they were kind of putting everything together, I think it was last CinemaCon when he saw the first image of Margot as Barbie, they announced that the film would be coming out on July 21st. And that was when the the hype train slowly but started really going that this weekend could be a thing and we're here it's it's amazing and it's everything i could possibly dream of as a film fan to see this kind of weekend come to life where you have two big films that not any weekend would be the the star film of that weekend whether it's the summer movie season the fall movie season that film would be the star and these two films are at each, not at each other's throats but they're neck and neck going at it we probably know the clear winner who is going to be the clear winner on opening weekend but like i said a couple weeks ago I think the long game is still very much in play for both of these films. It's going to be very interesting to see once the initial three-day weekend box office numbers come out, what the second weekend's going to be, the third weekend, the legs and the drops on this one. is going to be very, very interesting to see what happens. But both of these films, I can't wait to see. I'm doing my double feature tomorrow. I'm doing Barbie and then Oppenheimer. I'm waiting for my most anticipated film for the last one, which to me, I couldn't ask for any other way. And I'm really excited. I'm going to have my reviews coming out this weekend, if not the latest, probably by Monday on either one or both of these films. So you'll be getting my reviews on what I thought about them on Saturday and Monday probably. And then I'll have my social media reactions coming out tomorrow when I see both of those films overall. So again, I'm really excited about this weekend. Barbenheimer, go check it out, experience it, and let me know what you think about both films overall. So with that down and out of the way, that will do it for this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. Once again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to check out the and tune into the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on here, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. 
Also, make sure to check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, make sure to check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson, giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Also, along the way, make sure to check out these other amazing shows that are on here, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, Fretzelmania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous, and if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. Find me on Twitter at Bissell Samuel, that's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L, and also on Facebook at Sam Bissell. Once again, everyone, have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful weekend. Thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy the Barbenheimer phenomenon this weekend, and until next time, keep on screening. 